Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! To episode eight of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowler Consulting. And in this episode, we're going to talk about where we've been. We're going to talk training, probably about staffing. We have a fabulous book review, The Atomic Habits by James Clear. And we're going to have the second part of the Don May interview around innovation. Sam, am I missing anything today? Well, you're not, uh, but I'll tell you, I am super excited about episode eight. I mean, I knew when we we started this and we talked about this a lot, that if we could book some great guests, we'd get listeners. And so far, we've had Gold Franny winners. We've had Cassie, who was just amazingly exciting. We had Eric Arnston. We had Kevin Shaw. We've had Anthony Satterwhite. We had your old friend, Luann. And of course, we've got Don on tap for this one. So it's been just amazing the level of guests we've been able to get. You know, the numbers we're seeing for downloads are just fantastic. So pretty stoked about part two of the Don May interview. Yeah, the numbers for downloads have been pretty good. It's it's awesome when we could top out at number four in Belgium. We are kind of the kings of Belgium right now when it comes to business podcasts. I'm not going to lie. And if you're listening in Belgium, thanks. Yeah, let's go with thanks. That works for me. All right, then let's hear it from Johnny. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Where you been, Drew? Well, let's see, Sam. Last week, I was in fabulous Midland, Texas with the aforementioned Cassie Garrity. We were launching her relaunch of the Learning Hub, complete with checklists and online material for their managers to better onboard their team. And I got to partake in her first rally as the majority owner as opposed to having some Jim Garrity guy there to run it because it was all her show this time. It was really cool. And her energy in person is even greater than what we heard on the podcast, which is nuts, by the way. Wow, I can't even imagine. I saw some pictures on Facebook that she posted. It looked like that rally was in a movie theater. It was. If you take like a Dave and Buster's and combine it with a giant movie theater, that's where we were at. So they rented the entire place out for all like 60 of the GMs and senior AMs. So I got to present inside the movie theater in the lower bowl while everybody else was up in the upper bowl. and then. All the AMs and GMs got released out to play games, socially distanced, masked, even though it was Texas. Nice. That sounds like a great time, man. It actually was. Good times. I think I heard you say you relaunched the launch. Was there a failure to launch at one point? I mean, yeah, it's the learning hub. And I don't understand why it's so hard for folks to log in, but it's really hard to log in. So I've uh, been working with them for about six weeks now, giving them uh, daily tracking in the beginning. And now we're down to weekly tracking for how the team members are logging into completing the uh, the work, including their existing team. Instead of going through everything, they're just like general managers are jumping right to product master. And if they don't pass the product master certification, then they've got to go back and do a couple classes. Well, that sounds great. It sounds like you've given them some tools to be able to utilize the great tool that the Learning Hub is and for them to get a return on their investment for it. That's fantastic. That is a good way to sum all that up, Sam. It's nice how you and I do that. I say a lot of just blah stuff that comes out of my mouth. You sum it up. Then you'll turn around and say a lot of blah stuff that comes out of your mouth and I'll sum it up. It's kind of nice that way. Why don't you tell us where you've been? Believe it or not, I've been in Centralia, Illinois again. In fact, I'm recording from Centralia, Illinois. We are putting some fabulous processes in place in uh, the store there in Centralia. We're selling a, a pizza or two. And the goal for franchisee Lance Vosberg down there is to become the number one store in the region and... I think with the processes we're putting in place and the team that's coming along, it's going to be fantastic. And uh, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I'm really starting to feel some of the pain 
that folks are talking about on all the message boards on Facebook about the staffing and the challenge of getting great people in. Because one of the things I've been tasked with is to go through all their applications, do the screenings, do the interviews, and I'm onboarding folks. The struggle is real. That it is. And it's not just there, it's everywhere. It was actually part of Cassie's keynote speech at her rally too. I think now more than ever, Retention, retention, retention is the name of the game so that when we are able to get a great applicant, even though we don't have a whole lot of applicant flow, that once we get them in the door, that we're able to hang on to them. I think we're going to talk a little bit more about that later on. Yeah. In fact, I think we could probably jump right into the whole staffing conversation if we want to right now, Sam. What do you feel like? I'm ready to jump. Let's talk about staffing and things you can do to get some more people in. What do you think, Drew? Well, Sam, I'm a huge fan of that. I think staffing is important. Last time I saw that there's no I in team, but there is me. Wait, I'm going to see how many different like weird phrases I could throw at you. In all seriousness, this staffing piece, it's not just today, right? It's It's been everybody in the industry for years and it's a struggle. It might not have been your store or your town, but it was the next one over. Can I share some random non- binding statistical data with you. So this just in, this is Drew and Sam talk training. So as long as I say yes, and you say yes, the answer is yes. Cool. So I was interviewing my two daughters. One drives for shipped and the other just started doing DoorDash. And I actually asked them why that and not something like, oh, I don't know, pizza delivery at some place I used to work. And their answers were, well, one, I'm making 22 to 25 bucks an hour doing either of the two. I can turn it on whenever I want to. I can turn it off whenever I want to. I only work for the tips. I don't have to clean dishes, prep food, or get yelled at by a manager. I started to think about it and I was like, wow, those are actually all really solid points. Those aren't things that your normal job dominoes better than yesterday consulting, Fowler Consulting can offer because we have time constraints. But if you think about it, Sam, I think we can totally offer better and more flexibility to those that apply. I think we can offer something that DoorDash and Shipped and Uber Eats can't give them. And that's a team because if you're on, if you're doing one of those others, you're solo and that's it, man. And after this last year, sure, there's probably about 30% of you that want to be flying solo and like to be locked in your room all alone. But for the rest of us, having that chance to get out on a team and be part of something more than just us, that's what we've got to start selling. And maybe it means that we got to look at those folks that can only work three and four hours a week. Or we tell that applicant, you tell me when you want to work and I'll figure out a way to make it work. Just get them in the door. That's my non-statistical survey for you. It was my, my two people who are choosing the turn it on and turn it off job. Here's what I love about the position that we're in, Drew, is, is that we can be open and honest about what's going on out there. And I think the things that you talk about being the upsides of being an Uber or a DoorDash driver or any of these aggregators are all true. And I think there are things that that our listeners need to understand. But more importantly, what I think our listeners need to do is they need to have answers to these things when people come to them. Absolutely. They need to know how to sell the benefits and features of our gig. So, you know, to your daughters, I would say to them, yeah, you're making 22 to $25 an hour. But there's no taxes being taken out of that. And sooner or later, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. And you're going to have to create some sort of business entity, whatever it is, so that you can pay your taxes. So you're not really making $22 to $25 an hour. That's going to dissipate a little bit once those taxes come out and the taxes are going to come out. Now, the fact that I can turn my app on and off anytime I want is a pro. For people that are disciplined, for people that are undisciplined and need a schedule or they're not going to work at all, that's a plus for us. 
And we've got to understand that. Truer words have never been spoken than when you said, if somebody wants to work one shift a week or two shifts a week, we've got to find a way to make that work. I have a hard time understanding these managers that say, Sam, there's five runs on the rack. If I don't tell Johnny to stay, these pizzas aren't going to get delivered. And they can't see that if you do tell Johnny to stay and he had somewhere to be, he may deliver those five pizzas for you tonight. But now who's going to deliver the pizzas next week when he's gone? If you're listening, and I know this is hard, I know it's hard to look past tonight because there's all kinds of pressure on you from your supervisors, from your franchisees, from your peers, from the leaderboard that's above your make line. You want to do great tonight. You know, in the book that we're about to review, it talks about doing things that are going to make you 1% better. You've got to be in this for the long run. If you're listening to this podcast, my guess is that you are not a newbie at Domino's Pizza. And if you are, you're listening to the podcast because you're excited and you want to have a great and fruitful long career. The only way you do that is by playing the long game. And sometimes decisions tonight are going to hurt today's customers, but they're going to benefit next week's customers. And if you can't retain the team you've got, and you're already telling me you've got no application flow and you can't get any new team members, then going into next week minus one is worse than going into next week even. Oh, that's not staffing, Sam. That's retention. That is retention. And to me, that is the foundation of staffing. If you can't keep the ones you've got, then getting new ones is just putting a Band-Aid on what the root cause of your problem is. So Sam, we could spend probably three hours talking about how to staff because there's all the different processes, right? To your point, there's retention. So it's building a consistent schedule. It's cutting them out when they want to cut out, when they're scheduled to cut out. It's selecting the right people. It's actually doing a good interview. There's onboarding. There's all of this stuff. Can I just suggest something off the cuff, up in my head? Why don't you guys just, why don't you guys just start by looking at you? And I mean that in the nicest, hardest way possible. Control what you can control. Don't go whining that you can't find people. Ask a driver if they've got friends that want to work. Don't go in the bathroom and woe is me. I don't have a driver for Friday night. Call around. Be proactive. Don't wait two weeks ago when I was in a, with a client and a supervisor had to leave the room because there was a manager for a store and literally everyone else had called out, but not that day. Over like five days, they just waited till it became an emergency. Don't be reactive. Find a way to be proactive. Look at yourself and ask, what can you control about this and go after it? That whole waiting till it's an emergency to do something. Some of you, listen, you're just going to be appalled at what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it. Listen, if your EADT is 25 or above, it's an emergency. It's time to do something. And every day that you wake up, you should be putting your feet on the floor and engaging your brain and saying, what can I do to find one more person today? Not find 10 today. That's not going to happen. What can you do to find one more person today and get closer to where you need to be to deliver Domino's Pizza experiences to your customers that will keep them coming back forever? Back in the day, Sam, back in the day, you and I had paper applications more likely than not, folks had to show up at the store to even ask if you were hiring. It is so different today. But I can tell you, I know I went weeks without either getting an application or looking at an application or doing anything about an application. And that's just not possible today. If the last time you did something with an application is more than 24 hours ago, hit pause and go look at your online applicants and go do something. You got to get out there and you got to do things. And I'm seeing all kinds of very exciting new ideas on the Facebook general managers pages. You know, a guy said he put a post up and, you know, is there anybody that used to work for me that could pick up a shift? And he had six shifts covered for the next week. And you're thinking to yourself, well, it's only six shifts. What am I going to do with only six shifts? It's six shifts less that you don't have to cover. Drew, I'm going to throw something off the cuff. I feel like we could talk about this for, like you said, hours and hours and hours and hours. What do you say we dedicate episode nine to all about staffing and retention? And we talk nothing except staffing and retention in episode nine. Ooh, I'm digging that. 
That sounds like a fabulous idea, Sam. And if you're listening to this and you're already chomping at the bit for episode nine, help us make it better. Send us an email with a question about staffing. If you're having some success, send us an email about that so that we can share it with the rest of the system. Let's make this podcast what it's truly meant to be. And that's about you. And the easiest way for us to make it a value for you is for you to call into us or email us or message us on Facebook and tell us the questions you've got. Tell us the successes that you've had because we're just a conduit. We don't know everything. We've got some experience. We've had some experiences over the course of our almost six decade career together. And we've had some wins. We've had some losses. But what we're really good at is observing what other folks are doing great and sharing it with other people. And we would love to use this podcast as a platform for you to tell us what you're doing that's going really, really well. And then we can share it with everybody. And we'll even give you credit. We we don't even want the credit. We just want to help people get to a place in staffing where we can start talking about other things like building sales and crushing the hut and closing down Papa John's and making people say Domino's Pizza. Oh my God, they are just fantastic. That's what I want to do. And with that, let's take a break and uh, hear from our sponsor. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. All right. So, you know, I was wondering about this as I was driving back to the hotel to record this. We've got that little opening line that opens every podcast. I wonder how many of our viewers know what that's from. But even more so, when we do this little book review and we hear from my good friend Burgess Meredith, I wonder how many people know what that sound clip is from. I'm just going to throw it out there. If somebody emails me and can tell me what that sound clip is from, you are going to get just a fabulous prize. I have no idea what it is, but you're going to get something great. Because you can't see your prize box because you're in a hotel. Uh, that's true. So with that said, let's jump into our book review. And Burgess, give us that line. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. All right. Thanks, Burgess. That was amazing as always. This episode's book review is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And we got put onto this book, as you heard in part one of the Don May episode. He highly recommended this book. Hard to believe, but he was right. It's a great book. I was actually talking to a client today who listened to part one of the Don May interview, and he was talking to his son, who's in the army. I think he's a recruiter. And he was telling him about the podcast and how we reviewed books. And his son chimed in before he could say anything about the books we have reviewed or we're about to review. And he says, hey, dad, you know what book you've got to read? You've got to read Atomic Habits. The military is having us all read it. And he just looked at him and he's like, that's the book they're going to review. So without further ado, let's jump in. Atomic Habits by James Clear. Drew, what'd you think of the book, man? Well, Sam, so I, in my class, I teach a whole section on on process and habits. And it's cool because in the first chapter of this book, he mentions how that habit book was what he used to jumpstart. And it's amazing. As I was reading this, I, I think I told you I could build 10 classes out of this book. I already used a part of it with Cassie's group in a rally talking about outcome-based habits and identity-based habits and trying to explain to the general managers that they know who they are right now. And some of them are high volume managers and some of them are rookie managers and some of them are cost managers. What we need them to be right now are training managers. And if we start with the identity and then go into a process, we can get to the outcome. Yeah, I really like that part of the book where he talked about the identity and he asks the reader to ask yourself, what is your identity? So, and he goes into some really good examples, like you run because you want to lose weight or is your identity that I'm a runner? And even if you just started running and you can only run a block, if you start telling yourself that you're a runner, it starts to build that habit of you becoming 
a runner. And I thought that was just amazing. And he goes on to say that the process of building habits is the activity of becoming who you're going to become. And I was like, that's amazing. I don't want to give away the entire book because, well, quite frankly, we can't in a small amount of time, we could dedicate, like I said, I could do 10 classes on this book. There's a quote that I want to give the audience though. And it's that behaviors followed by satisfying consequences tend to be repeated. And those that produce unpleasant consequences are less likely to be repeated. And it seems so basic. How many times do we make things so difficult? I mentioned Learning Hub in the beginning. And that, that bad thought or that bad experience creates a bad habit where then you don't want to do it anymore. Oh my gosh, the, the, the way we could change so much by approaching it with just a little bit of that crave and, and the, the reward that comes with that craving, taking all the bad we know about something like cigarette smoking and why you end up doing it and spinning it into something good because all the things that, that make you do that, that behavior, whether it's smoking or whether it's running or whether it's having a beer after work or whether it's going to Waffle House at 3 a.m. after a Sunday close because that's where all the GMs hang out. Whatever that behavior is, you do it because it makes you feel good at the end. And if you think of anything that makes you feel bad, you tend to not do it. And we do so much stuff that we just make it so difficult and we shouldn't. Staffing, first days for people are so hard. It's not clear what they need to do. It's not obvious. They're uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable. Why would somebody want to do that again? And so they don't. Just that whole line of, of finding a way that behaviors are followed by a satisfying consequence. The whole book's just brilliant. Yeah, I really liked that. The behavior and the satisfying consequence. Let me run this by you and, and see if I can get your thoughts on this. I think that, that that's important. The behavior with a satisfying consequence. I know for me personally, you know, I've struggled with weight. And I know that when I exercise, I feel more energetic. I sleep better. My clothes fit better. And yet I have a hard time maintaining that habit. And I'm starting to think that based on what he said about deciding what your identity is, I think for me, what I need to start doing is saying, I'm a healthy athletic person, even though as of today, I'm not a healthy and athletic person. But if that's who I'm going to aspire to be, and I know that doing those things make me feel better, then maybe if I've created the identity, the habits will start to stick. And I think that's that's something to me that was very, very powerful in the first part of the book is creating that identity. And it's not a lie. It's who you aspire to be. And it will help you create those habits to be 1% better tomorrow than you were the day before. And that's that key is that 1%. So let's take the working out piece because he uses that as an example all through the book. He talks about habit stacking. So for instance, I, I'm in the same boat, Sam. I can go and I'll work out for three, four, five weeks in a row and then fall off the wagon for some reason and then not for like six weeks. So he talks about habit stacking, doing something you do and just adding on to it at the end. So I started looking at the way I do things. I'm like, wow, you know what? I could literally wake up and drop to the ground and do 10 push-ups. Why not? And oh my gosh, I've done 10 push-ups now since... I finished reading that book, this book now almost three weeks ago. I wake up in the morning, I fall out of bed and I do 10 push-ups. Now we're doing this via Zoom and, and the listeners can't see this, but you are looking a little buff. I appreciate that. Going back to the weightlifting, he also talks about finding a way to measure it because, and, and you know it, right? When you're, when you're trying to work out, you don't see the gain. So his thing was to add a secondary habit. In this case, taking like two jars and having one jar full of paper clips. And every time you do your workout, you move a paper clip because you can't see what you're doing to yourself that day. But by moving the paper clips, you'll start to see the paper clips move. And it'll actually give you that good sensation of accomplishment at the end because you don't see what you're what good you're doing because it takes months of that habit. I mean, that one's a huge one of, of just creating some little win so that you feel good about working out at the end of it. As I'm going through the book and picking up these small little habits, these atomic habits, shall we say, very small particles, not big things. And that's what he stresses through the book is to pile on, like you just said, and do these small little habits. The way the book is structured is, to me, was just wonderful. At the end of each and every chapter, there was a chapter summary. He's got a bullet pointed list of the things he talked about in that chapter made it very easy for me to say, oh yeah, that was important to me. And oh, I missed that. And maybe I want to go back and read that section. I think he did a really good job of laying out the book. Before I even read the first page, 
I've been carrying the book with me everywhere I go. So every minute I've got, I can get a couple pages in here, get a couple pages in there. I was in line to get my first dose of, of my COVID vaccine. Congratulations. Thank you. The volunteer says, oh, dude, that book, it's amazing. Even if you only do 10% of the stuff he talks about, you're going to find that your life changes. And when we talked to Don in part one, I think he said something like, you know, I had some things I was working on. And, and here's a guy that's successful beyond, beyond my imagination. And he says, I got some stuff that I'm working on. And I read that book and it really helped me. And I think you and I got very similar experiences as we made our way through the book. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody has something they're working on. There was one part of the book I want to touch on before we get into the final step of it. What I'd been teaching was about finding the reward, right? Because everything has a trigger, a, a trigger, a behavior, and then a reward. In the book, he gets probably about halfway in and he starts getting into that the motivation is overrated. It's about the environment. Example he gives is bottled water. And that a hospital realized that their pop sit or soda sales, for those of you not in Michigan, is was much higher than their water sales. So what they did was they cut the pop in half and put replace it with water. Okay, but that didn't actually change anything. The soda sales stayed the same. So then their next thing was they put baskets of water bottles all over the cafeteria. And within a month, their water bottle sales were five times the soda sales because they made it easy and it was there. And every time they turned around at every station, there was water bottles. At every cashier, there were water bottles. Everywhere you turn, there was a water bottle. And at some point you just go, I'll grab a water. That's the way we're wired. To our listeners, if you think about your store, if you can look around and you don't see that you're hiring, you don't think that somebody walking in could very clearly tell that you're, you need staff and you're hiring, then it's not easy enough for them to make that decision. Make it easy. And that sign you've had in your window for the last nine years probably isn't good enough. Do something to really make it easy for people to do the thing you want them to do. So I know we always already made a commitment to talk E9 and about staffing, but as you say that sign in the window, I think I'd just be remiss if I didn't say this. If you've got that sign in your window, move it once a week to a different spot in your window. Otherwise it becomes white noise and nobody sees it. Just move it, move it to a different spot so it will catch somebody else's eye. And I think you'll be pleasantly surprised that that sign in the window may actually help if you move it every now and then. I think that's really, really important. Back to the book. One of the things in the book that, that I guess I'm going to disagree with, one of the things that I had a hard time wrapping my head around, he talks a lot about goals and goal-oriented people and how that's the wrong way to go about things. And while I agree with pretty much everything he says in the book and the way to go about it, and, and, and feel free to disagree, Drew, if you do, but I think there's still a value in having goals. And, and he, you know, he, he goes on to say that the only time you work is when you're getting towards your goal. And then once you've won the championship or once you've done this, then there's no reason to move on. That's just not the way that I, I present goals in my workshops. And I don't think you do in yours as well, but I'll let you speak to that. You know, to me, goals are something that you hit you celebrate and then you reevaluate and you set another goal. For me, you know, I'm really into this mountain biking and I've got a goal of having a PR every time I get on the bike. It doesn't mean I don't want to have a PR the next time I get on the bike. And I don't think there's anything wrong with setting goals and having goals. And I do agree with what James has to say, and that's you shouldn't live your life around goals and only be happy when you've hit them because he does say that you're not happy until you hit them. I mean, I think you should be happy every day you get out of bed. And I think if you're making these atomic habits and making those 1% improvements, you should be happy about that and you're trending in the right direction. But I think I'm going to disagree with him and say that uh, for me, I think goals are important. Scott Adams, he he's the uh, artist behind Dilbert. And I've been a Scott Adams fan for probably a decade. And he is of the same mindset that it's not about the goal. It's about the process that, that the little things you do. So for instance, your goal of mountain biking and getting a PR, right? It's all the things you do in your process. The fact that you get on the bike every day, the fact that you hit that trail, all the little things that you do are the things that matter. And that's where they were trying to get to. It's not so much about the goal. It's about all the little processes you do that get you to the goal. I find a middle ground. So I, even in my classes, again, 
because I've got Adams and he mentioned Scott Adams in the book. I use goals not as the end, but as the direction, because if all I'm about is the goal, then that's how you end up cheating numbers because it's easier to cheat than it is to follow a process to get the result. So it's it, for me, it's it's always about the direction. And if it's staffing, if it's service, if it's costs, whatever that goal is, it points me in the direction to build the processes to then just blow past whatever that goal is. Yeah, I can get on board with that. I'm definitely becoming a bigger and bigger believer in processes and enjoying the journey, not just the destination. I just think he was a little heavy handed in the way that he talked about goal oriented people instead of process oriented people. And I think the way that you just summed it up and helped me wrap my head around it a little bit better is that I think there's a good middle ground a good way to be goal oriented but absolutely enjoy the process. You know, I think I think you see some of what outsiders would say very successful people based on scoreboard, based on how much money they make or how many buildings they've acquired or you know, how many this or how many that. And a lot of those people aren't very happy. I think those are super goal oriented people. And listen to me talking myself right into what James said. Can I give you one more? Can I yeah. can I go all sports ball with you for a minute? Let's do it. So I'm a New York Jets fan. And the only thing worse than a New York Jets fan is a Detroit Lions fan. Oh, God. The New York Jets play in the same division as the New England Patriots, who for 20 years had Tom Brady and took them to six world championships. And they were a plug and play team. Somebody would come in. They would do great. The contract would come up and the Patriots would boot them out because they're not going to pay them that much money because of the process. Everything they do is about the scheme and the process. Now, each year they might tweak it and improve on it. But it's about the scheme and the process where the Jets are like, let's play football and they lose every single year. And I guarantee you, if you go back and look at the interviews of the coaches on the first day of training camp, every Jets coach has the same goal as Bill Belichick. We're going to win the Super Bowl this year. And then 18 months later, that Jets coach is fired. I think that's where James Clear was going, was that that they have the same goal. But what one part is missing is the process. And it's the goal is the direction that you're going. It's not the end. It's just pointing you. And it's about the process and it's about what you do today. And it's about the 1%. And I swear to God, Sam, I thought I was going to read him somewhere, say better than yesterday. And he never did. I thought I was going to get that out of him too. Yeah. You know, and as you tell that, and we, we jump into the sports ball, I remember where he talks about that. And he says, and he said, I think he said exactly that, you know, every coach says they're going to win the championship. And if you fall short of your goal, does, does that mean that you didn't have any successes? I mean, I would say that the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes had a pretty darn successful season last year, even though they didn't win the championship. You know, is there only one team that had any kind of success? Is there only one team in any sport that has any success because they won it all? I mean, I just don't. No, it doesn't work that way. You're, you're getting so close to the whole, the goal thing isn't what it is. Before we were recording, I told you that, you know, I was running, I was working the lunch shift today and helping some with some training. And, and we set a goal of where we wanted to be in the leaderboard. And, you know, I have no control over what the other 160 stores in the DMA are doing. You know, are they doing a great job? Are they maybe having some inaccurate reporting of numbers? I don't know. But what I do know is that the process that we had going for us today gave great Domino's Pizza experiences. And even though we weren't number one on the leaderboard, we had some pretty fabulous numbers and we we're pretty happy about our results, even though we didn't necessarily win the leaderboard. So what I said about him, me not liking that part of the book. Yeah, I guess I guess I was wrong. It's not that you were wrong. You just needed further explanation. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so let's jump into the uh, the final thoughts about the book. And with our newly minted rating system, we've got: is it in the backpack? Is it on the desk? Is it collecting dust? And finally, the last one: is it in the bin to be donated? the library. What do you got on this one, Drew? So many books we're putting in the backpack. I don't want to put this one in the backpack. I can tell you this is of all the books we've 
done. This is the only one that I've already gone and ordered for my family. <laughs> All my kids are getting their own copy. Nice. It's life changing. I did see it online. It's on the Navy SEAL read list. To say it's in the backpack, I, I won't have enough of them because I would literally just give them to everybody. Like I need to email James and just have him give me 150 bucks. Let's call it in the backpack because I'm like I said, it's the only one so far where I'm already giving it to family members because it's, um, gosh, especially for the younger you are, the less you have everything locked in. It's so much easier to break a bad habit. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm backpack. I'm giving this to anybody and everybody. For me, this one's going to be on the desk. I'm much like you have said a couple of times now. I, I see all kinds of things that I can take out of this book and, and share with my clients and, and help them create results that they're looking for, help them enjoy the process, get processes in place so that they can enjoy the journey on the way to better success. I think I'm going to really save the in the backpack for shorter fable type books that I think are easy reads. Um, and that's not to say that if you're listening to us now, you shouldn't already be on Amazon and getting Atomic Habits. And we'll put a link to it for you. She'll send us a couple of cents and we'd sure appreciate it. Uh, but this is a darn good book. Successful folks like Don May don't recommend books like this unless there's something in it. And balls like Drew and I don't recommend books like this unless there's something in it. So get yourself a copy, read the book and, and enjoy it. And I just want to be clear, Sam, with our listeners that you you said it and maybe we didn't touch on it. This isn't a fable at all, but it is absolutely an operations manual. He tells you exactly what to do and how to do it. There's no ambiguity about it. There's it is perfectly clear. Do this to get that. And I would add this to it. I think it's a pretty easy read. You're not reading a textbook here. We had a book a couple of episodes ago that was somewhat textbookish, and it was a darn good book. It had great stuff in it. For me, it was a very difficult read. This one was not a difficult read. Yeah, grab this book. It's what all the cool kids are doing. Cool. And uh, don't we have some Liam Neeson thing now? Yeah, Liam, tell us about your particular skill. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. I love that clip. As I've said over and over and over again, I really love this segment that we do on the podcast. And because that's, we get to observe things that are going right. We get to share them with you and help you enjoy the processes or add some new processes so that you can gain better results. So with that said, Drew, what have you taken? This one's going to sound a little weird, but just hear me out for a second. I heard from a, a buddy who's going to remain nameless at this moment, short staffed. So when the store is slow, afternoons are late, or when he needs someone, he needs that shift covered, he dials up an Uber or a DoorDash order. When the driver shows up, he asks the driver how much they're making an hour and tells them how they can make more working for him. Ah, uh, I like it. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. And you know, those men and women that are working for those companies have a car. And they've cleared a background check and an MBR. Oh my goodness. If it works one time out of 10, yeah, that's one more driver. Whew. Yep. That's guerrilla marketing. That reminds me of dumpster diving to find customers. Yeah, those are the bad old days, Sam. How about your taken? My taken actually comes from, gosh, almost two years ago when I first saw it. And I never really did anything about it until I was here in Centralia again. And this came from a franchisee in Iowa, Eric Lockhart. And I helped Eric open a store and he had these guns of Alfredo. And it's by a company called FIFO. And it's called... FIFO Perfect Portion, and we'll put a link for, for the product in with the podcast so you can see it. But what it is, Drew, is you take your Alfredo sauce and you put it in this tube and the tube is open on both ends. It's not open on both ends when you're putting the sauce in, actually. But on one end, there's a nozzle. And on the other end, there's like a plunger that you would see like in a... Cock gun? In a cock gun. Huh, and okay. so it's got a trigger... And every time you pull the trigger, it pumps out one ounce of Alfredo. So on a pasta Alfredo, there's four ounces of Alfredo, four pumps, perfect portion every time, nothing left over in the tube because it pumps it all. And what we've seen here in Centralia, and oh my gosh, we go through some Alfredo, I'll tell you, is the reduction in waste has more than paid for the initial investment 
in the hardware of these FIFO guns. It's just amazing. And the other thing is it's so easy. You know, I'm making pastas, which I hate to do because I don't know all the builds because I've been around so long. All I really know are the pizzas. That's the supervisor bypass rule there, Sam. Uh, supervisor bypass. Bounce that. So, you know, I'm using this FIFO gun and it's four clicks. I got four ounces. It's perfectly portioned. You don't get to the bottom of the bottle where it sounds like, hey, maybe you should go see a doctor about that. And I'm getting all the Alfredo out. There's no waste. And it's just easy peasy, lemon squeezy. I'm telling you, these are the greatest things since sliced bread. And Eric Lockhart, if you're listening, I'm so grateful that you showed me these things. And if you're not using them, I'm telling you, you got to try them out. They're amazing. Nice. A FIFO gun. I like it, Sam. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So I know we're really excited about talking about staffing. And I know that taken is my favorite segment. But guess what's coming next? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Is it an ad or is it... Our guest. It's going to be the ad, but right after the ad. Well, we'll leave it right there. We'll talk about it after the ad. Let's take our second break and hear from another sponsor. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two-hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. All right, welcome back. Drew, are you um, nearly as excited as I am about part two of the Don May interview? I am. And Sam, I think at this point, because they've already heard part one, let's just jump right into part two. Stevie, take it away. We're going to start out with Drew. Drew has got a kind of a funny question to get us going, one that we've both pondered many times when we've been at rallies and see your very exciting group together. So, Don, I think you know that we Americans are generally cloistered from the rest of the world. There are things that others do that amaze us. So why at the worldwide rally, if someone says Aussie, Aussie, Aussie is the immediate and energetic response, oi, oi, oi. <laughs> yeah, well, it's our national cheer. It's a it's a very weird one. I don't know the history of it, but it's a it's an Australian cheer that if we go to any sporting event and you've got a bunch of Aussies together, that's it's a pretty easy one for Aussies to remember. You know, it's it's and it's it's what brings a spirit to our, to our culture. It's funny because. Australia is only a 200-year-old-plus culture, and most of what rallies us together is sport or competing. We, we didn't have a war to, to settle our country. We didn't, you know, it's a, it's a very free and open democracy. And, and uh, yeah, so, you know, we, we we're very, very passionate about sport. In fact, I was sitting next to the American ambassador at a dinner, oh, sorry, at a lunch, actually, about five or six years ago, and they played the American National Anthem and they played the Australian National Anthem. And I said to him, what do you think of when you hear the American National Anthem? And he talked about all the lives that have been lost to build a nation and all the sacrifice. And I said, well, this is what an Australian thinks about every time they hear the national anthem. We're about to see a sporting team run on. That's, it's just such a diverse difference in culture. So you'll see us being so enthusiastic because it's we're thinking of sport. We're thinking of winning. We're thinking of beating another team. And that's what that rallies inside us when, you, when we hear that cheer. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, every time I've heard it, there's no second gear for your guys. I mean, they are always just going crazy with it. And the room erupts. And it doesn't matter if there's, if there's 10 Aussies or 100 they just immediately all eyes are on the Aussies and they're and they're going crazy. It's uh, it's always fantastic to see. So, Don, you had mentioned uh, how you're teaching the people of Japan uh, and you know, Germany how to in, uh, enjoy pizza. And I was at the World Resource Center for your Project 310 talk. So I was wondering if first you could tell our listeners for that, for those that don't know what Project 310 is, let's start there. Yeah, sure. And we like to call it 310 now because we've had it for five years, so we no longer call it a project. But Project 310 is the ultimate goal to have every single pizza delivered in under 10 minutes, and, and, or sorry, every single order, and or a pickup in three minutes. And 
And 310 came about because when we put GPS driver tracker in, for the first time in our history, we had new data points that absolutely shocked me. I was sitting in I was sitting in my office in Brisbane, and when you're looking at the data and you're saying, wow, you know, we had new data, which highlighted that when we could track from when the order was signed out and when it actually drove away from the car park. So we had rack time, but now we also had a car park time. And then we had a proper drive time and we had actual delivery time. And then we had how much time was being spent at the door. So in the old days, all we had was load time and out the door time and return time, right? And and But now we had these three other data points. And when you looked at it, you went, oh my gosh, in an average Domino store, we spend more time on the rack and in the car park than we do actually on the road. That was horrific to me. And then when you break down oven times and so on, we went, wow, why can't we... Why can't we compress some of these? Like, why do we, you know, our ovens were cooking in seven minutes then, and today we have ovens in three minutes 30. And we were just showing, we actually just did a, um, a Zoom with Mr. Monaghan, and we were showing him how we, we're going to have a two minute 30 oven and how we're doing that. And, um, but then, you know, it's a funny thing. If you never have a rack, you can't have a rack time. We have all these philosophies in Domino's that, are so ancient. They're 60 years old. And now with technology, we can do things differently. So breaking it down five years ago, we built the first, what we believe would be a 10 minute store. We, we, you know, it had all the latest things we could have the beginning of the future order screen, which there's a, there's a limited version of that called shoulder surfing in the U S but the future order screen actually is, is a little bit more advanced. We're about to build the third generation of that, which we're building with, with Domino's in Ann Arbor, which is, it's called smart make line. So it's building them both in together and and using our, what we call the future order screen built into that. And, you know, so we built this first store and, and that store today still delivers, t- I mean, it's five years on and it's still delivering around on average 12 minutes. And if, if you know, management focus is often delivering an eight. It was funny that store, by the way, in year two, I remember one week it delivered in an average of 18 minutes and we had a burst of customer concerns about delivery time at 18 minutes. Because habitually, the store had been delivering in under 10 for so long. Fast forward, you know, we were in a worldwide rally in uh, a couple of years ago, and Richard's on stage talking about a 25-minute goal, and I'm scratching my head. I was actually sitting next to... Who was I sitting next to? I was, I was talking about, what? And I walked into a meeting straight after that of managers from the Netherlands and they were striving to to break a sub-five-minute delivery week because the world record at that point was six or seven minutes for the week. That's a whole week delivered to the door. Anyway, we we I walked out of that room with, with, with that being strategized and I walked straight back in to see Rich Allison. I said, Rich, can you get Nate... You know, Nate does these beautiful videos for Domino's as documentaries. I said, can we get a team and you know, Brian Trier can come over and even prove that it was real. And anyway, we shot a documentary in the Netherlands where they were shooting to go under five minutes and and we were all there and they, they did it in three minutes, 36. Oh my. And then since then, there's now a Japanese store that's done an average delivery time for the whole week of two minutes and 37, I think it is, or 39, I forget the exact time. And the benefit of those records is every time we did those records is we were learning about what were the behaviors and then how do you automate those behaviors. One of the behaviors, for example, is when a store's going for a world record, it would call every single customer as the order was leaving the store to say, hey, look, we're going to be there and then quote a time because the GPS would tell us the time. Please meet us out the front because then we would save time you know, at the door. Well, we now have a thing called call on arrival, which means rather than just a push notification, believe it or not, a physical phone call actually is more active for the customer and drawing them out of their home. So call on arrival is still in its its early phases, but the whole idea is to save about another minute at the door every single time because it's an automated phone call from an automated voice. But yeah, long story short, if you look at the top 50 stores in the world on any given week, probably 45 of them come from DPE, maybe even more. Most of them are in Japan, but there's a handful out of France or Australia or Germany or somewhere else in the world. And Brian, um, Brian down there in uh, just not far from the world world office, he often has a store in there. Brian Adler. That Brian Adler. Brian Adler often has a store in there. He's trying to take out the world record, but he, he always reminds me as a disadvantage because he doesn't have the fast ovens and and that's true. And he doesn't have the same thing, the same future order screen. And that's true. We went and visited him the first time we, we had the whole global leadership team for my business and we drove down from Ann Arbor and met with him when he was in his in his US record week. I forget what he got that week, eight minutes or nine minutes for something like that. And it was Yeah, I think it was like eight thirteen or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing to go and visit with him. I mean I applaud, you know, the domino all dominoids that are that are going after this because there will be a time when we will have all our orders under 10 minutes with all the systems we've got. That's amazing. So, I, you know, as I hear you talk about these times under 10 minutes and trying to get to three minutes and domestically, you know, their oven times are 
six and a half at best, six minutes if they've if they've got the faster ovens. Have you done anything with your products to get those bake times so so quick? Um, as a master franchisee, you've got a little bit more latitude than a domestic franchisee. There's got to be differences in the product, I would think. Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, we had to change the formula for our lava cakes and we had to bone in chicken. We had to play with some of the equipment and so on with that. And we're still doing all of that. What, what I always say, because you've got to... The, all, all our stores, the 2008 stores, most of them don't have the fast-bake ovens because that's you don't change ovens just to, to go for Project 310 in a day because ovens are the biggest capital cost in a store. In all honesty, most of the, for any manager that gets to listen to your podcast is that the real savings are in load, car park. And, you know, how do you get the world record stores, Do we, they use shoulder surfing so that they've got near zero load times. In fact, the world record stores all have negative load times which is a bizarre thing for Pulse to deal with because it, it obviously thinks you're cheating. Um, but if you, if you, you know, if you follow our future order screen and you follow shoulder surfing, you should be able to get close to a negative load time and then obsess. The world record stores all have below 30 seconds from when it leaves the oven and it drives away. And that's incredible because the typical domino store, if you ever look at, and I've looked at the US data as well, typically has a rack and car park time of six to eight minutes. Yeah, it's very frustrating when you drive up to a store and you see the drivers in the parking lot doing who knows what. Exactly. I really think, you know, have expediters, as I think the name is called in the US, we, we call them runners. But, you know, if you can have a driver at the cut table and the pizzas are being loaded, we're creating a software at the moment where you won't even have to sign drivers out that, you know, with the, with the, the phone and the acknowledgement of the order that you literally... I don't even, I'm not even up to date with how they're doing it at the moment, but it will sign itself out because that's one wow. less step, right? Um, because the driver's there technically, you know, the whole idea of, of having an, an, an order with integrity is that the driver's got to be there. Otherwise, you know, it's not a real time. Um, so that's, you know, there's all these little mini projects that are going on, but I, I really challenge if I was a manager, obsess about getting the time is the enemy of food. You've got to obsess about getting it from the oven and on the road, you know, and I'd also challenge people to think about their delivery areas, you know, that in, in the age of delivery, our obsession today is have delivery areas under five minutes. And we don't talk distance anymore because distance, you know, isn't, isn't the name of the game. It's, it's time. And, and so, you know, try to, try to make sure you've got, you're doing fortressing, obsess about that. We're in, we're in an efficiency war in this next decade. You know, there's not enough human beings to deliver the number of packages that need to be delivered. And all inefficiency gets passed back to the customer in bad quality or, or, or high, higher prices. You know, you've, you'll have a franchisee or manager lifting their prices because they're saying, well, I need to make money. And well, you're just passing on your inefficiency. You, you, you should try to be the, the winners of the pizza war in the next decade are going to be the most efficient. You need to do more deliveries per hour than anybody else so that you can pay more per hour because guess what? You're going to have to pay more per hour in the coming decade. And McDonald's is going to business, KFC, then, you know, they're going to build their own delivery fleets. We're seeing that in places like Australia or South Korea. That's the real competition. Aggregators are not the competition. It's the big, big QSR delivering and doing it professionally, full uniformed, full, you know, delivery trained team members. That's real competition. And, and, and so when we're in that war, it's an efficiency war of those who can have the best drivers, well-trained, good image, and doing more deliveries per hour than anybody else. That's how you win in this next decade. Yeah, that the answer you just gave me about the product in the ovens was exactly where I wanted you to go. I, I mean, because you remember Mark Watkins from way back. He and I taught pizza prep school. And one of the things we always showed in pizza prep school was your video from, oh my gosh, 17 or 20 years ago, where if you want to get better, you've got to find all the bottlenecks. Yes. And I think domestically, some of our store level leaders get stuck on, I don't have a fast enough oven, when it's exactly as you said, their drivers are sitting in the parking lot for three or four minutes doing who knows what. And it's yeah. just so refreshing to hear somebody that's been as successful as you have to let people know that there's many opportunities to get the customer the pizza much quicker without spending $40,000 on a faster oven. You're exactly right. And let's say that, um, so you're delivering in, in 15 minutes and there's three minutes in the oven. Well, congratulations, you're now delivering in 15 minutes, right? Like that three minute lost in the oven is not the, is not the essence. There's, you know, most stores around the world today are delivering between 22 and 28 minutes, unfortunately. And Three minutes isn't going to save your ass in that. I mean, no, all of the in the oven, it's all the other things you can do that are going to take 10 or 15 minutes out of your delivery times. And they're all executional. And look at the, you know, 
uh, DPZ or Domino's is, is building this fan, or has built this fantastic facility in Ann Arbor where they're doing all these new operational tools. You know, there's cutting edge that's come out of that. There's all these programs with Expediter and, and smart batching and all sorts of stuff. Like more and more of these tools embrace them. That differentiators, you know, one of the, the, the downsides for Domino's as a 60-year-old brand is that we have this really unfortunate muscle memory. And that is we're really hard to change and we have to change to lead in the next decade. Yeah, I think domestically, we've gotten a lot better at that in the last 10 years. And I think the brand has done a good job domestically of getting the old dogs that weren't willing to learn new tricks out. And I think Mm. the people that are still here are starting to see that they've got to stay true to product, service, and image, but they've also got to change and embrace the new technologies. And, you know, you mentioned Project Cutting Edge. I would imagine that's not actually all that new for you, is it? Haven't you been flat boxing forever in Australia? Yeah. So, you know, most of our business now has been on flat boxing any from 30 years to onwards. And it's an example of muscle memory. You know, there's a lot of dominoids who could not get their head around. What do you mean the docket? Sorry, we're not going to have these these uh, these door slips more or less on boxes and pre-folding. But, you know, a, a folded box system is a 12-step model and a flat box system is a five-step model. Taking seven steps out of the process is extraordinary efficiency and you know, it's been really amazing for me to watch the cutting edge videos and seeing the, you know, old dominoids finally switch after all these years. And it's fantastic. You know, I completely applaud the progress. I think there's still some even more efficiency that can be found in that over time, but it's, you know, that's what we should be doing. And it took us 30 years longer, but Hey, we're doing it now. And that's what counts. Yeah, that's fantastic. So as we're talking about all these innovations, I wonder, is there one that you look at that you wish you could have implemented sooner or faster? Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about the flat box thing. I mean, I wish I was, you know, it was actually the new innovation center. What's it called? The garage or something? The tech garage. The tech garage, yeah. It was actually one of the gentlemen in the tech garage who finally did a time and motion study and proved what we'd been saying for 30 years. But because it was 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 somebody in that garage doing it scientifically, it was now credible. But ultimately, you know, it was it was fantastic. These the the team in the tech garage absolutely analyzed it, proved it absolute. I also had uh, Brian Dobbs up in. Um, he was he saw me do a presentation in in Australia, and he went up and and sent me one of his security videos from Alaska, and said, "Look, I mean, Don, look at this. Look." And he, it was just showing the observation of all this wasted time with drivers walking around and folding boxes, and you know all the label stuff. And anyway, that's the one I wish we would have done sooner. But if, if today the one that's still bugging the hell out of me is this whole lost uh, rack time. And, you know, the automation of in the middle of the rush, how do we remove racks? How do we get to a different model? If you have training wheels on a kid's bike, it will take them far longer to learn how to ride a bike than if you just keep holding the seat and letting go for a day. Kids will learn how to ride a bike in a day. And and I've done this test. But if you give them training wheels, they'll still be using training wheels three months from now. And that's what the rack is. The rack is a training is 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 inefficient legacy in the, in the middle of the rush. And we've got to do expediters. We've got to use technology. You know, now that we've as we get smarter and smarter with with GPS systems as they're getting better and better. And you know, we we know when the pizzas are coming out of the oven and how we can time these things. Just the beautiful marriage that continues to sink in the middle of the rush. And with efficiency, we can have that that few extra drivers on. One of the challenges for us today is we often run the the schedule so tight because the cost of labor is so high for a manager that you know with with more efficiency we can have a little bit more excess to always have that driver there. And then with three and five minute drive times, you know we're going to be doing five or six deliveries an hour, and that's going to be highly profitable and allow a little bit more room for for us to cover for that. Don, if you were in the room with a twenty something in America that was running a Domino's pizza store, what do you think would be the best advice you could give them as they were beginning their journey with Domino's? Yeah, you know, focus and discipline. When you're 20 years of age, people often ask me, what would I tell my 20-year-old self? And that would be to get a little bit more focus and a little bit more discipline in my life back then. And it's hard to say that when you know, when you're young and you've got so much life ahead of you, but you know, there's a lot of time where we just clock in and clock out and we run shifts and we, we do shifts 
but how do you make every shift the building block to your future? You know, every bit of learning, every bit of failure and every bit of success will shape you. And did you learn in every single shift? Did you grow from every single shift, whether you failed or succeeded? And if you if you think about it and you focus on it and you you will achieve so much more. I feel our business is on steroids today because we're, you know, I'm in my 50s now and I have that mentality. And so the learning exponentiality is happening so much faster. And so a 20-year-old, you know, dream big, whatever your dream might be, you know, and and write it down and then, you know, just keep making it bigger. And then, you know, join the dots of how you're going to get there with the people around you from the people that are above you in a sense that maybe you're already doing some of the jobs you want to do. When I say above, it's not the right technical term, but people that are already doing those jobs to then what you'll learn is how much you put into other people will, t- will actually lift you up and up and up. And when you learn that skill, that dominoes is the gift that keeps giving. You know, it's like the golden goose, but the golden goose, you've got to keep nurturing it if you want to keep getting those golden eggs. And the more you nurture it, the more golden eggs you're going to get. And those, and who is the golden goose? The golden goose is the people in dominance. That, that's the golden goose. And the more you invest time, energy into the people around you, both from a hospitality point of view as well. You know, I, one of my favorite things to do is to cook a barbecue for people to come to my house. So I, I do a lot of dinners at my home. And my job, I try not to have more than 12 people because beyond 12 people, the barbecue is always tough. But if I have 12 people, I can cook a barbecue for 12 people. And that's a little bit of me giving a little bit, you know, to people in my organization and, and from around the world when they come and visit. And, um, and then we break bread. You know, it's, a, it's one of those sort of human things where we sit around the table and we talk about dominoes and life and business. And so, you know, giving in all the different things, the more you put into people in the community, into your families, into your team, the more you give, the more you receive, not that that's the reason you're doing it, but it will just happen. It just happens. And you'll just get continually lifted up. That's, that's just fantastic advice. And uh, I'll just say it if Drew won't. The next time you're in Ann Arbor, Drew has got a fantastic smoker in his backyard <laughs> and we would love to break bread with you and, and have some some barbecue with you. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, well, I'm going to hold you to that. I love a good barbecue. That's an easy hold. It's real easy. <laughs> we will clear our schedule, my friend. <laughs> love it. And I got to admit, I was really hoping there as you were talking that you were going to say, you know, it's a building block for tomorrow so you could be better than yesterday. I was really hoping to get that tag in. <laughs> so that's the name of my consulting, so... All right. <laughs> so close. So close. That's a good, that's a good brand name. Thank you. Excellent. Drew, anything else? I have run through my list of questions, Sam. Don, thank you so much for the time. I, I just, I was just tickled to death that you responded so quickly and that you were willing to be so generous with your time. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a big fan for decades. It was just wonderful to spend this time. And I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that uh, Drew and I were on probably 30 minutes before you came on. And, and we were both nervous little schoolboys waiting to talk to Don. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you. No, look, I, you know, if I can assist in any way, as I said, it's the, you know, like Mr. Monaghan said, that it's our responsibility that we were given this opportunity and we want to keep passing it back. So it's great that you're part of the development of all these great minds and and people in, in our business. So reach out in the future if it's a specific subject that I can help now that I, I didn't really understand what you guys were doing, but now I do. I, I'm, I, I'm more than happy to contribute. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. 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 We're both still helping franchisees out and talking to team members. And it's just, it's always exciting to get in front of a group and see them. See the light bulb. Yeah. It's just, it's fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Have a great rest of your day. And again, I just can't thank you enough for taking some time out. We appreciate it. Thank you. My total honor. Good luck. Thanks, Don. Yeah. Take care. Thank you, Don. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. That was a great hour total that we had with Don, wasn't it, Sam? It was amazing. And for those of you that don't know, you know, I reached out to Don via Facebook, asked him if he'd spend some time. He was so cordial. He said, yes. He set up a 45 minute time slot with us. And Drew, you may remember this when we got to 44 minutes. I said, hey, Don, let me jump in there. We're at minute 44. We don't have a hard stop. We've cleared our whole calendar, but we want to be cognizant of your time. We know you're a busy guy. And he looks into the into the Zoom and kind of smiles. He says, no, I got another 15 or 20 minutes. Just such a super nice guy. And I know you can hear it through the interview. Oh my gosh, just so smart. Like everything he's talking about, it's that vision, right? It's, it's less about what is going on right now and more about where he wants to be. He absolutely knows where he wants to be. 
He's absolutely got a vision. They've got great processes in place and they're just doing amazing results. Don, if you're listening again, thank you so much for being so cordial and so generous with your time. We can't thank you enough. No, we cannot. So thank you, Don. All right. Let's uh, hear from our last sponsor of this episode. You want to take what you have heard on this podcast to the next level? I do. Are you looking to be better than yesterday? I am. So why don't you join us for Drew and Sam Train Leadership, a mini-con event. You'll get to hear from a keynote speaker. You'll choose from two of three available breakouts. Those breakouts, full-fledged expectations, holding them able with accountability, and recognition with impact. You'll have an opportunity to network with other listeners of this podcast. It's only 49 bucks. It gives you access to the two hour event. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's right. To register, go to trainwithbty.com. Do it today. Drew, is it just me or have we heard the same ad six times now in the last two episodes? I don't know why you're counting, but yes, we have heard that same ad six times because we are super excited to do that mini con and seats are filling up quick. So if you haven't jumped on board, jump on board before it sells out. Yeah, that's a great idea. A chance for you to get some great learning, choose from three different breakouts. It's going to be pretty exciting. It's only 49 bucks. You know, it's, it's, it's going to be a good use of your time. Jump in now before we decide that it'll be 59. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friend. And I can't wait to get on the road again. So uh what's on your radar, Drew? What's coming up? Well, let's see. I'm I'm sitting in the lovely Hampton Inn in Fisherville, Virginia, because tomorrow starts a BTY visit system with Team Commonwealth, uh, Becca Miller as a new supervisor. And so I'm going to help them onboard that new supervisor. And then uh, next week, I'm heading to Kentucky to work with Chris Short and team and help them relaunch their learning hub. How about you? That sounds great. Listen, I've had the chance to work with both of those franchisees as well. You're going to have a great time with Becca and David and the whole team. Team Commonwealth is amazing. And then when you get down to Chris Short's organization in Kentucky, and you know, I've been working with them for about three years now. I think you're going to have a great time there. So for me, what's coming up on my radar, heading back up to Minnesota uh, to spend some time with the Honey Badgers. We are also going to do the Train the Trainer again there. Uh, I have some outside franchisees coming in with that. I'm going to be in Dayton doing a Train the Trainer there for Kristen Kohler and his group, Chris Schlater leading up that training, looking really forward to that. And going to be spending the next couple of days here in Centralia, Illinois, making pizzas, onboarding new folks, scouring their online ads each and every day to make sure that if somebody applies, they they hear from us within hours so that we can snag the very best candidates. So pretty full calendar, very excited about the work coming up and super grateful that folks are still out there looking for the services that both you and I are providing. Kind of nice to be wanted, isn't it? It is really nice to be wanted. It's really nice to be part of the continuing success that that the brand and the franchisees have been experiencing over the last decade. That it is. And with that, Sam, I think it's time to say goodbye to episode eight. This has been Drew and Sam Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Fowser Consulting. As always, go out there, sell more pizza. And have more fun. Make sure you share this episode with your friends, download it, listen to it. And we would love it if you would subscribe. We'd love it when we see those subscription numbers go up and it will give you notifications first so that you can hear the next exciting episode. Remember episode nine, we're going to talk all about staffing. We're going to field your questions and we're going to share best practices with you from folks that have shared them with us. Really looking forward to that. It's super timely. Let's get these staffs where they need to be so we can deliver great Domino's Pizza experiences. Thanks for listening, gang. 